You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. To the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, it's great to be back again. I've missed being here the last couple of weeks. I do apologize to our listeners. Somebody even e- emailed me and said, where are you going to get a new show on the air? It's only been two weeks. I mean, come on, really. Um, some of us have lives. No, I actually have had uh, court the last couple of weeks, and unfortunately I don't get to control the court's calendar. Uh, but, David, as long as it's happened in the last two weeks, um, uh, Donald Trump is still in the lead, Hillary is still in the lead, and we haven't gone to hell in a handbasket yet. But we're getting close. We're getting close. David, there actually was a really important Supreme Court decision that came out yesterday. As you know, uh, in uh, two weeks from yesterday, the U.S. Supreme Court will be hearing oral argument in the deferred action uh, uh, injunctive ca- injunction case. Uh, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show, but uh, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people who don't understand that case, thought that with Scalia's death, uh, it would end up in a four-four tie. But I think another case that came out yesterday actually shows where the court really is on a lot of these constitutional issues. Uh, yesterday, in an eight-zero decision, in a voting rights case. The Supreme Court struck down the state of Texas's crazy butt law, saying you can only count eligible voters when apportioning districts for Congress and other factors. Uh, Supreme Court eight to zero said, "Yeah, no, Constitution doesn't let you do that." Uh, so these same clowns in Texas that bought, with all due respect to your Texas roots. Uh, these same clowns that brought this lawsuit and wasted the court time on what is clearly a well-settled issue. Um, I think we've had at least one constitutional amendment and fought a civil war over this issue um, that, in fact, you must count everybody. I thought the court's decision in a case called Evan Wall versus Abbott was very interesting because really for, for, for a constitution geek like me, it was all about the constitution. David? Abbott being the governor? Abbott being the governor of Texas, yeah. He, uh, he was not the appellant. Uh, Evan, Wall, um, Evan Wall was suing Abbott. Uh, Evan Wall wa- and, and others amongst him were individuals who, well, let me take a step back. Here's what happened in Texas. So typically you have to apportion districts within a state, so, so they fall within about 10% same. So, you know, I, I don't know what the Texas numbers are, but let's say there's, you know, a million people per district, okay? They've got, you know, 10, 15 million people just as a number. They've got 15 districts. And some districts might have 950,000, some might have a million fifty, but they have to fall within a 10-degree, a 10 10% deviation. Well, that was true for the way they did it, but then Texas changed the law and said, you know, uh, it's not fair to voters if we're going to count people who are specifically undocumented. That's what this case is about, was about counting undocumented immigrants in the overall population, because what they argued was, you're diluting my vote by counting undocumented immigrants who can vote. So they looked at the Constitution, Mr. Evanwell, and the state of Texas who passed this law, uh, and said, hey, you are, you are saying that my vote is less than it actually is because I can vote and those undocumented immigrants can't vote. So I'm not getting equal representation. What they were ignoring was the fact that the Constitution doesn't care about your immigration status. Now, David, as you recall, uh, there was a provision early on in the Constitution uh, when it was first drafted in regards to slavery. Uh, and they didn't count slaves as human beings at, in their full percent. 
they counted three-fourths of, of, of a slave for representation. And they did this uh, at the bequest, at the request of the, of the framers of the Constitution uh, because they wanted to not be, the North didn't want to be overwhelmed with the slaves who couldn't vote. So we're going to count three-fifths. Then we had the Civil War came along, and it was quite clear uh, in the amendments, 13 and 14 amendments that passed, that, in fact, we're going to count everybody, everybody, not everybody, everybody, for the, for the, for the decennial sentence, census, uh, census when we allocate congressional seats. And we've done that, done that now for 230 years, uh, 220 years. So Texas is arguing, state Senate says, no, we're not going to do that, it can't work that way. Supreme Court came down and said something, I, I mean, I, their opinion is terrific, uh, it's a, like all Supreme Court decisions today, they're just way too long. It's 53 pages. Um, but here's, uh, uh, here's what they say. This is basic holding. Because constitutional history, precedent, and practice reveal the infirmity of appellant's claim, this court need not resolve whether, as Texas now argues, states may draw districts to equalize voter-eligible population rather than total population, and why? As the framers of the Constitution and the 14th Amendment comprehended, representatives serve all residents, not just those eligible to vote. Non-voters have an important stake in many policy debates and in receiving constituent services by ensuring that each representative is subject to requests and suggestions from the same number of constituents. Total population apportionment promotes equitable and effective representation. Now, you and I have joked over the years that uh, um, only landowners should vote or only people that work should vote or people that, you know, you know the reality is that's not the way our, our country is founded. Uh, our country is founded on everybody being able to get the right to vote. Now, it took a long time to make that to come true, uh, but you think back uh, to the early days of the Republic, voting was power. Uh, Do you think they should be citizens? Who? The voter. Of course the voters should be citizens in, in the context not, of a national not election. undocumented. Well, undocumented voters can't vote. It's against the law for them to vote. This idea that, that some idiots put out there to say undocumented immigrants are voting, it's just really not true. If they vote, it's a federal crime, it's a deportable offense, and will bar you from ever becoming a citizen the rest of your life. So please show me the people that are voting. You know why you can't? Because they don't exist. Not well. That is, that is a myth. They're, it's they're, a myth created by the anti-immigrant uh, white supremacist movement who think uh, we're not white enough anymore. I mean, it's just it's just garbage. Um, dead you know, people vote. Dead people do vote in Chicago only, though. <laughs> um, actually, my dad voted after he was dead. My dad died October 29th, 2012. My dad cast his absentee ballot before then. His vote counted. So my dad broke the law, I guess, but I guess you can do anything about that at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, the reality is I'm sure there are some mistakes made. And in, in the odd election where one vote counts, it makes a difference. But generally speaking, nobody's robbing elections by having undocumented immigrants vote. Nobody's robbing elections by having dead people vote. Does it happen in smaller places? I'm sure it does. In national elections? It doesn't happen in national elections. Let's, 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 let's not kid ourselves about that and uh, come up with a solution for a problem that does not exist. Ask Kansas how that's worked out for them so far. But I thought why I think this decision is important, David, is because it shows you the Supreme Court is not as partisan as people think it is on purely constitutional legal issues. You see a lot of split on the Supreme Court when it comes to policy issues. But when it comes to the, to the Constitution and what the clear meaning of the Constitution is, 
I think the court acts as one. And that's why I think this decision is very important for the DAPA decision. Because the DAPA decision, I believe, the Fifth Circuit and the District Court have both ignored the Constitution and both have ignored federal law. Uh, And uh, on policy and procedure, uh, particularly as it relates to what the Constitution requires for individuals to bring lawsuits, that is, have standing, I think the DAPA lawsuit, if not an 8-0 decision in favor of Obama, will be at least a 6-2 decision in favor of Obama. Just yesterday, somebody from uh, The Hill magazine, let me find her name here, uh, published an article uh, about um, about the Supreme Court's case and, and the Supreme Court's makeup and how it affects uh, the DAPA case. And she was clearly grabbing for headlines. Who is this? Her name is... Uh, Lydia Wheeler. I don't know who Lydia Wheeler is. Let's find out who Lydia Wheeler is. Um, and I think her her article was very poorly sourced, and I don't think she understands this issue at all. Uh, but trying to figure out who she is, I'm having a hard time here with uh, by clicking on her name. But it must be a reporter for The Hill or somebody who contributes to The Hill. So she wrote, Obama is facing a very real possibility of a deadlock at the court that guarantees his immigration actions won't take effect before he leaves office. I think that's simply not a reality. It's just not a reality. Um, uh, She talks about, well, the Supreme Court's already deadlocked twice on two different cases. Yeah, but those cases were policy cases. Um, They weren't constitutional or procedural cases like this one is. Uh, Because the court isn't going to the merits of Obama doing this. The court's in an injunctive phase. Did the, did the district court actually, did, did one, does the state of Texas have legal standing to even bring the lawsuit, which they don't? Uh, and two, uh, is, uh, is can, can this injunctive be in place, given the fact there's no actual harm caused to the plaintiffs in this case? So I, I think it overturns the injunction quickly, but I really thought it was um, uh, really poorly written by Ms. Wheeler. Uh, and uh, I don't think she's actually read the briefs. I don't think she understands the issue. Uh, maybe she's just a typical reporter and just got people to say a couple things so she can write a fancy headline and, and get people all riled up like me. Um, now, what's funny is uh, the, the, the legal director for the American Immigration Council said this, I cannot predict the way the case will come out, but I do think we are on very se- legal ground, solid legal ground. I don't think Scalia's death set us back anyway. And you and I have talked about that before. Scalia dying has nothing to do with this case. I mean, he wasn't going to be a swing vote on this case, um, I don't think. Um, so Crow said, the possibility that the case could go forward on such tenuous grounds is frightening. It would enable states to essentially have unilateral veto power over federal policies, not only in the immigration arena, but other areas where the federal government is steering the course. Um, put simply, uh, DACA, uh, well... I think that's an overblown statement as well. But at the same time, I think she, she does make a point. Really, do the states have veto power over the federal government? You, you don't like what Obama does. I'll give you an example of why this become important. Trump has declared that his primary policy, uh, his first thing he's going to do in office, is build the wall, David. And who's going to pay for that wall? Mexico. Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Has he ever said how he's going to pay for that, pay for the wall? Funny that until, to, until today, as he said, yeah. Until today, how is it? It's the only way he could actually do it because Mexico's not going to write him a check, right? 
So here's what Trump, straight out of the art of the deal, make a bluff that you have no legal ability to support and try to scare the other side into making a deal with you. Uh, you know what Mexico says to that? Okay. Cut out for a minute. What, here's what Trump's going to do. He's going to bar remit. He's going to bar international monetary transfers from private individuals in the United States to other private individuals in Mexico. Can he do that, David? I have no idea. No, he cannot do that. These same people that want Trump to do that, which would require what? Do you know what require what that require? An executive order in violation of the Real ID Act, the federal law. These are the same people who support that that oppose Obama's legal executive action creating different priorities for deportation under the authority granted him by Congress. I just find it absolutely hilarious that the same people, or maybe it's ironic, that hate Obama so much they cannot see the legality of his actions would support the illegal actions of Donald Trump. Um... But I thought it was hilarious. You see, and you know what's funny, David? Where where did Trump get this idea? You think he thought it up himself? No. Because Donald Trump doesn't think. Not very much, anyway. Um, he got this idea from Jeff Sessions, who's been pushing this idea to bar remittances, along with all the other folks in the white supremacist movement in Congress and all the other white nationalists that support Jeff, Jeff Sessions, um, that they want to bar remittances to Mexico. Hey, you're sending $25 billion a year to Mexico and it's supporting the economy. Mexico needs to pay for that wall. So, is that money going to the government of Mexico? No, it's going to your family, my family, people's family in Mexico. Uh, and uh, there's no legal way to bar international monetary transactions like that because you could just send your money to Italy and then Italy would send it to Mexico. It's, it's a stupid idea, is what I'm saying, David. It's just a stupid idea. Let's take our first break here in America's we We'll be right back uh, with the Immigration Hour. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration uh, Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, David, it's actually a beautiful day here in the South, and our gardens are nothing. Is that right? Our initial garden update for 2016 is they're nothing. I can't even get into road until the ground is so wet. Did you? Uh, it's had more rain than I can ever remember Atlanta having. It's stunning. Uh, did you uh, have the wind this morning? We did not. Early? We did not have the wind. We did not. I know there was massive winds here south, but up where I lived, 
We did not have any wind that the Boy, this morning we had, you know, we had whistling wind, as a matter of fact. No, we we were fine up by us. We were... uh, I sit kind of in a little valley, though, so I don't really get as much wind as normal. Although on Saturday, I did get to use my chainsaw quite a bit. We had uh, three large trees come down over the winter, and I had a work party at my house for kids from church making money for camp this summer. And uh, so I was able to get the old chainsaw out and fire it up. And uh, I love using the chainsaw. That's just so much fun. Uh, I got one of those big steel chains. That's right, mine's a steel 18-inch. It's funny, I couldn't remember how long it was, so I bought a new 20-inch blade, knowing my blade was dull, and I only use a 20-inch blade, and I didn't want to run back to Lowe's. So I have a brand-new 20-inch blade sitting in my car. Um, uh, but, no, I love that steel. It's uh, just a, I've had it now for 15, 16 years, and it just, yeah, they just keeps I did realize, though, the uh, the posts that you, that you use to tighten the chain once mm-hmm. you set it in there, that screw is not working. I think I think I've got. To, I think I got to bring that in for some service there. I think it's you know, I, I, <laughs> this has nothing to do with immigration, obviously. But I had taken mine. You've got to be careful with this gas. You know. Oh, you can't use old gas and in this uh, thing. So it, it's. Uh, I had to have my the carburetor, everything. And, but the guy told me he said you're better off with this one. And mine's older than than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, mine's probably. Gosh, twenty five years really? old, and he said, "But you're better off. They just ain't making them like they used to." Well, I mean, and, uh, they make them all by computers now, and yeah, know, just. Uh, but I, I'm like you; I love it. I even have an electric chainsaw that I cut high limbs. That's on a pole thing. Oh, really? I used to have one of those, uh, but I broke it. <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I, I use it a lot. Uh, so yeah. the garden update is. No garden. I didn't even order seeds. I'm going to use last year's seeds. I'm not going to. I don't have time. To, I, didn't, I didn't plant tomatoes this year as far as getting them from seed. I was going to buy them at the store. I just didn't have time this year. It's just been a, my travel has been crazy. But we'll get some stuff in the garden. We'll get some cucumbers in. We love, I love having cucumbers. We'll get some string beans in. And uh, I'm going to go much more mellow this year. But what I am focusing on is my fruit trees. And my apples are jumping. I'm going to spray my apples on Saturday. They're just starting to blossom. Uh, and all my pears are set. Uh, a lot yeah, of the peaches. plums are set. I have peaches that are set. My oh, cherries okay. are set this year. And my figs are, I already have figs that are as big as my thumbnail, which is awesome because, you know, we didn't have a cold winter. That means the, 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 the wood did not freeze in the figs. That means we'll get earlier figs this year. I'm really excited about that. We might get several bumper crops of figs, actually. I'm kind of excited about that. And my grapes are already popping out. And I, I didn't trim them completely, but they're pretty good. So, David, that's our garden that's, update. That's for the it. Day. <laughs> that's our garden update for the day. So I'm really excited, though, David, that um, uh, that we've got this oral argument coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, hopefully, the the federal government will be more prepared for this than they were the first time they did oral argument in the Fifth Circuit on the first appeal. Uh, but generally speaking, I think um, I remain confident that DAPA will come forward. Now, David, there are still a lot of people out there that don't understand what's going on. Uh, so let's just briefly explain to them what's happening on DAPA. Uh, if the Supreme Court uh, after argument, oral argument on the, on the on Monday the 18th. What they do is they have oral argument, then they go back into the chambers and they have a vote. Okay, who votes where that day? Then they assign who's ever in the majority. The senior person can say, "I want to write that opinion." So you look at whoever's in the majority, and then the senior person, the majority, minority are assigned the right opinion, or they can delegate it down below. Okay, you can write that. You can write that. If somebody has a really strong feeling, they can write that as well. But usually it goes in order from from top to bottom. Uh, obviously, Merrick Garland will not be there to write anything, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, then uh, they all, they always finish their term the last uh, day of June. June 30th is their last day. So they always have their opinions issued by them. My guess is 
This opinion will be issued one of the last two weeks of June. If it's issued one of the last two weeks of June and if they overturn the stay, now remember, this is a stay, the trial on this case will go forward unless the Supreme Court says there is no standing. The state of Texas has no legal right to bring this case. They don't have, and, and their whole standing argument is based upon the, the cost of the driver's licenses, right? Uh, there was actually a great quote the other day so from somebody up in Connecticut. said, wait a second. So Texas's standing is based upon the fact that they only charge $75 for a driver's license, but it costs them $135. So their whole argument in the lawsuit is they can't figure out how much to charge for driver's licenses? Uh, I can't figure out how that gives anybody standing. I mean, really, I don't know how that gives anybody standing. Um, and then you can make up any injury you want, and because of your own incompetence, get a lawsuit going because you don't agree with the policy. I, it's, it's monumentally stupid. The case should have been thrown out the day it was filed. It, and, I, and I still blame, well, really great choice of judge by, the government, by, the, by Texas, but I still bring really crappy lawyering by the government. They did a really crappy job in oral argument. They did not know their judge when they went in there, and they just did a terrible job with that. It's my opinion. You, people will attack me for that, but I don't really care. That's my opinion. Um, so we'll hurt, if they rule in favor, now if they rule and say, no, the judge is right, they got standing, the stays in place, DOP is over. It's done. And it ceases to be an issue. Now, politically speaking, my guess is Hillary would like that. Hillary would like it, because then she can use it as an election issue against Republicans who have barred immigration reform, barred fixing the problem, and want to, want to, not that she would have fixed the problem, but she can use it as an election issue. Now, the Supreme Court says, no, 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 this is garbage. There should be no stay. There's no lawsuit. This is nothing. Over Obama, you can go ahead and do it. Well, then the question becomes, David, when can you file for DAPA? Well, obviously, you're not going to file the next day because there's no forms, there's no process, there's no computers, there's no location, there's, uh, there's no procedures, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing in place to do this with. Um, so, and keep also in mind, by the way, on this decision, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has already ruled in Obama's favor on this issue. So, it's actually a circuit split on this issue. Um, so, when are you going to be able to file? My guess is... It will take at least 60 days for the Obama administration to get up and going on DAPA. Uh, now, they supposedly already have space in Washington, D.C., but they would need to hire bodies. They would need to buy computers. They would need to get policies and procedures set up. They did it in 60 days for DACA. They can borrow a lot of that from DACA. I can't imagine it being 30 days. So I'm guessing 60 days. So now we're looking at the end of August. Let's say September 1. So September 1, you can file your DAPA application. <clears throat> Is that a good idea? That's my question to my clients. Is that a good idea? Because while if the Supreme Court rules against Obama, Hillary is happy because she can use it as an election bludgeon against Republicans who don't want to fix a, a glaring problem in our economy and our society. Trump, on the other hand, could use the out-of-control Supreme Court, the out-of-control uh, presidency, the imperial presidency against Clinton although he himself would do the exact same thing in the context of building the wall, uh, about using the imperial power of the presidency, um, would, would it be a good idea to file a number, knowing that if Trump was elected, God help us all if that happened, um, that DAPA would be going away on January 18th, 19th, 20th, when the swearing-in is. Uh, so I think it would actually be a stupid idea 
a bad idea, a waste of your money possibly, to file for that DAPA in September. And I think you would see only a few people. There still might be several hundred thousand, but I think you'd only see a few people applying for DAPA in September. Now, Hillary wins the election in November. David, we're presuming she will not be indicted. Okay? I know you're smiling right there. So she wins the election November 8th. November 9th, we're filing several million applications. So it could be a really busy November for us. Um, so I, I, I see this both as from the political issue. Think about the ability of uh, congressmen, senators, uh, uh, to rail against uh, Hillary and the president on the imperial presidency, creating law, creating blah, 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 when in fact the Supreme Court would say, you know, you don't have a standing to sue here. So what's your basis? You're out of here. Have a nice day. Or if they get to the policy issue, the president has the authority to do this. So what's the problem here? Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be, uh, both from a political standpoint and a societal impact, a very important issue for the election. Uh, and as the election gets closer and closer, uh, and as this issue percolates forward, I think immigration will continue to be in the forefront of people's minds. Although, David, is it the number one issue out there? No. What's the number one issue? Economy. It's the economy, stupid. Um, and other than John Kasich, does anybody have a plan on the economy? No. No. Trump's, Trump has no plan. I mean, I don't think he thinks more than uh, two hours in front of him. What was for lunch today? What's for, where am I speaking today? Where's Melania? I mean, that, that's all I think he thinks about. I don't think there's any deep thoughts going on there. Um, Bernie? All Bernie cares about is that Hillary's taking money from the oil and gas industry. Well, you got to take money from somebody to run for presidency. I wonder how many of your people work in oil and gas industry, Bernie. I mean, come on. Uh, what's Hillary thinking about? Where's Bill? And who's he with? <laughs> nah. <laughs> no, she doesn't care, right? She, she could care less. She doesn't care where Bill is. Uh, you notice he disappeared off the campaign trail after he made those crazy butt comments. Uh, I think he can keep him in a special cage sometimes. Bill, you cannot leave the cage. <laughs> I wonder if he's getting a little senile there. Um, you think? I don't know. You know. He's not old. He's only like 68. I mean, he's about your age, right? 69, yeah. 69. I mean, he's a young guy. I mean, I'd, in the grand scheme of things. But as as my dad used to say, I think he'd been rode hard and hung out wet um, back in the day. Um so I think it's really interesting that the the politics of the presidential election with Trump's wall that Mexico is going to pay for because he's going to bluff them into withholding remittance, which you can't legally do, to paying for a five to ten a one time a one time five to ten billion dollar payment. <laughs> You're like, how does he think that would go over in Mexico? Uh, so there's one there's one entrepreneur in Mexico. By the way, a couple weeks ago there was a big festival in Mexico where they used piñatas. You know what the number one piñata selling in Mexico was? Donald Trump. Donald Trump piñata, exactly right. So a, a taco meister in Mexico, a uh, guy with this taco restaurant, came with a new taco. It's called the Donald Trump taco. Um, it's got lots of tongue and no brains. <laughs> That's funny, David. Come on. Mucha lengua sin cerebro. That's actually pretty darn funny. They do eat. Have you ever had tongue, beef tongue? It's actually quite good. I know you think it's disgusting. My, my grandfather used to. I, 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 I've had brains, calves' brains. I've had canes too. I'm not a big game brain fan, but tongue uh, I've had. I, I never could bring myself to, to eat tongue. Well, it's got to be cut up really thin. You have to not be able to recognize it. 
It's like eating queen. I mean, uh, who knows what I ate when I live in Peru? I, I, I eat lots of other stuff like that. Uh, if I never eat tripe again, I'll be a very happy man. Um, so when you look at this whole political election going on, if immigration was your most important issue, and it was an issue in which you think we should have less immigration, less uh, be, you are an immigration diehard, who should you vote for? Who should you vote for? Who should be your candidate? Um, and here's what's interesting. A lot of people think that despite his rhetoric on immigration, uh, in fact, that Trump does not, would not be the best person for you. Now, I, I disagree with that because I know who he has surrounded himself with. He has surrounded himself with people who despise immigrants. People like Jeff Sessions and Jeff Sessions' chief of staff and other people from the anti-immigration white supremacist movement, from FAIR, from uh, population control groups, all of them support Donald Trump. And they're in his campaign. Now, Cruz says the same stuff, but a lot of those guys aren't in the Cruz campaign. Um, Trump, however, because he holds Jeff Sessions so close, would not be able to do anything positive on immigration and will be terrible even on illegal immigration because the rest of the GOP would oppose him. Let's take a break on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano, o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611. 404-816-8611. O visítenos por el internet a www.immigration.net. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. We were just talking, David, about how Trump is not the best candidate for the anti-immigration movement, even though he's got <coughs> all these anti-immigration people with him. And why? This is Mother Jones talking. So this is a liberal, liberal rag. But they say that Trump is the only one who could convince the base that he made a good deal because despite the fact that he's a crappy deal maker, 
he thinks he makes the best deals. So he could make a big deal with uh, with um, um, McConnell and Ryan. They'd be snickering the whole time. But I think Jeff Sessions would kill it anyway and, and keep Trump from doing the deal in the first place. But this guy doesn't think that Kasich could do it, that Cruz could do it, that Hillary, nobody's going to pass immigration reform. So this guy thinks there'll be no immigration reform because the Republican base, the Tea Party crazies, will stop it. I think that after this election, you are going to see a very different Speaker Ryan. I think you're going to see a much more controlling, much less intolerant Speaker Ryan in the context of getting legislation passed that he wants passed, uh, including immigration reform. He's a big immigration reform guy. Uh, and so I think, politically speaking, we're going to see that happening. We're going to see that happening. If he's still he will be Speaker. The, the GOP would be stupid to get rid of him, honestly. Who are they going to make a Speaker? Some Tea Party crazy guy? And what's he going to get done? Nothing. I mean, literally, McConnell won't work with him. McConnell will work with him. McConnell's probably not running for re-election again. So McConnell's good for the next four years, right? So he can do basically what he wants. Uh, and this is presuming the Senate is still in GOP hands. That's, that's a big, mighty assumption. Uh, because if Trump, is, if Trump is the nominee, his chance of staying a speaker, I mean, speaking as majority leader, is slim. Slim. I mean, even you recognize that. I mean, it's really slim. Uh, Trump, the, the, the guys running against Trump, they haven't even begun to attack him yet. Did, by the way, did you read that the, the, the dirt that Trump has on Fox News? Okay. You know the Fox News has not been terribly kind necessarily to Donald Trump. Uh, but they backed off recently. Did you know, and I just, just saw the article about this, Apparently, Roger Ailes, the guy that guy that used to work at, at Fox, then wrote a, a, a tell-all biography about Roger Ailes. And there was a big fight between these guys. And rather than go to court, they they brought in a mediator. What mediator did they bring in? Donald Trump. Hmm. So all the secrets of the parties were, and Donald made a deal with them. So who now knows all the secrets about Fox News? Donald Trump. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't it really disqualify them from reporting on him? I mean, I think this is absolutely fascinating. Uh, do you really think you're getting the whole truth from Fox News when their secrets have been aired to one of the candidates who basically controls them what they say about him? This is like being in Nazi Germany in 1933. I mean, it's really kind of crazy stuff. Kind of crazy stuff. Now, I, I do have to touch on some other immigration stuff that came out this week because um, Donald Trump's first wife, Ivana, now, you remember Ivana, David? You grew up in the area of Ivana. She was an exotic Eastern European woman. Uh, uh, and uh, she was interviewed in the New York Post. She also accused Donald Trump of raping her at one point, but then withdrew that allegation in her book. Um, she's Czech, and she wrote, well, of course Donald Trump loves immigrants. I'm an immigrant. Uh, and she says, quote, as long as you come here legally and get a proper job, we need immigrants. Who's going to vacuum our living rooms and clean up after us? Americans don't like to do that. Close quote. Wow. And we could have had her as the first lady. I mean, really, what are we missing out on? Then there is the big lie about Melania, who was always legal, but in fact, clearly was not. 
She was coming back and forth on a what's called the visa waiver, now called the ESTA program. This is a 90-day visa. Uh, she's also from a country in which she can come in without a visa. She can get on a plane and come here. I always left on time and came back on the visa. Well, that's actually not proper. You're supposed to come to the United States for 90 days and then leave for a substantial period of time before you come back 90 days again. It's not meant to come here for 90 days, go home for a day or a week or a month and come back for 90 days and basically live in the United States. You can't do that on that visa. Uh, she was able to do it successfully. Does anybody in America think that when she was here working on her modeling career under a visitor visa that she wasn't breaking the law? Can you model in the U.S. on a visitor visa? No. Can you get paid in the U.S. on a visitor visa? No. Does anybody think she was doing these things? Yes. So this idea that only legal, legal immigration... How about Arnold Schwarzenegger? Great example, right? Came on a visitor visa back in the 70s. What did he start doing? Competing, acting. What, what was he doing? A visitor visa. Is that legal? No. This idea that people can come legally, that's fine. They can't be a problem after that. That's the big lie. Oh, I did it legally. I will tell you, David, that immigration laws are so complex. It is the rare legal immigrant who complies with every term of that visa and leaves without having violated some type of U.S. immigration immigration law. It's the rare person. Uh, and we know that clearly Ivanka and, and not. Now, here's what else the other rather offensive Ivana Trump has said. But if they come here like this 19-year-old, I don't know which 19-year-old she's talking about, she's pregnant, she crosses over a wall that's this high, unclear how high this high is. She gives birth in an American hospital, which is for free. Actually, not true. Child becomes American automatically. Yeah, we've had a war over that. Quote, she brings the whole family. Not true. She doesn't pay taxes. Not true. She doesn't have a job. Not true. She gets housing. Not true. She gets food stamps. Not true. Who's paying? You and me. This is the big lie that even Ivana Trump believes. Every single statement in that two-line, in that four-line sentence was a lie. Now, was it a lie, an intentional lie, or is she just stupid? Probably she's just stupid. Most Americans don't understand that none of that is true. That immigrants pay t- million, billions of dollars in taxes every year. Immigrants, illegal immigrants don't get free housing. Illegal immigrants don't get food stamps. Immigrant, illegal immigrants pay for their medical care. They have to pay cash for their medical care. They don't get to, they don't get to charge, just charge it out in bankruptcy. Uh, and really, pregnant women don't walk around, don't climb walls. It's another thing. There's your Bernie bird outside. They're looking at you, David. Um, so um, I think uh, this is really interesting, that the Donald Trump ex-wife, the first of the uh, foreign women who wouldn't do a job Americans, who would do a job Americans wouldn't do, uh, is attacking immigrants. I always find interesting the people that think they came legally, that want to roll up the gate behind them. I waited in line. I did my turn. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. You know, but that doesn't mean that somebody who's trying to provide better for their family is an evil person. Um, now, people will say that I'm an open borders guy. I believe we should have you know, no laws on immigration. I don't believe that. I believe we should have immigration laws. But I believe we should have immigration laws that work for the United States of America, that work for our economy, that work for our society, that work for our government, that work for families, that work for cities and states, that work for businesses. Because right now... Our immigration laws do not carry out such work. And I'll give you a prime example. Just this week, David, last week, it is what we euphemistically call H-1B filing season. 
David, you have a vague recollection of what H-1Bs are. H-1Bs are the workhorse work visa. It's the only effective work visa we really have in the United States for employers to hire the best qualified talent for their company. This isn't necessarily to replace U.S. workers, although Disney's been accused of that. This is to hire the best talent out there. Uh, After all, we do educate about almost a million foreign students at this time in the United States, and some of them we want to keep here in the United States. Well, Congress, in its infinite wisdom 26 years ago, um, expanded the H-1B program but limited it to 65,000 visas. 65,000 visas. So every year we may graduate several hundred thousand foreign students and, and other people from out of the country might want to come here to work for a U.S. company who has a job for them, is guaranteed and required to pay them the, the wage dictated by the government based upon their experience and their education in the area of intended employment, and they literally have to f- play a lottery to see if they get that job. A lottery. So on April 1, we don't have the numbers yet, but April 1, we, we sent out about uh, 200 H-1B visa applications on April 1 for our clients. And I understand that the, the FedEx trucks, uh, 18-wheelers, backing up to the service centers who receive this, in fact, uh, one of my friends actually noted that while on a regular basis, on every other day of the year, there is one 727 from FedEx that flies from uh, Memphis to Burlington, Vermont, where the service center is. So, But in, on April 1st, there wasn't one 727. There was four 757s that flew to Burlington, Vermont, to deliver all the H-1B packages there. My guess this year, and we'll see if the numbers come out. You can write this down, Dave. See how good I am predicting this. That we had about, we'll have over three hundred thousand applications for these sixty-five thousand H-1B visas. What a stupid way to run an economy! What a stupid way to run an economy! Every one of those people has a job offer from a U.S. employer. Well, Chuck, but then those American those companies will be able to hire U.S. workers. Presumably, David, they would have hired that U.S. worker rather than paying the money to a lawyer and to the government to file the H-1B in the first place. Why would they pay upwards of 5000 or $6,000 rather than hire a U.S. worker at the same wage or maybe even higher of a wage than they could have to pay that U.S. worker? These aren't jobs that are taking, taking jobs from Americans. These are jobs where, where companies have said, I want the best qualified person. I can't find anybody else here. I don't know a single employer who has said, Man, I don't want to hire these U.S. workers, even though they're equally qualified, because I just don't like U.S. workers. That's just not true. That's another one of these immigration myths that are out there that are perpetrated by, perpetrated by the anti-immigration movement, which find foundation in the idea, well, I know this American guy, he can't get a job. Well, maybe he's a crappy employee. Maybe he doesn't interview well. Maybe he doesn't have a skill set that's, that's valid in the jobs he's looking for today. But at the same time, there are employers out there giving jobs away and giving jobs and hiring for us and paying lots of money to bring them on board. What a dumb way to run a system. What a dumb way to run an economy. Now, again, 65,000 jobs in an economy of 170 million workers is, is but a drop in the bucket. It's not much at all. But you can shape and move companies. Silicon Valley is particularly touched by this because they use so many IT workers out there, and so many of them are foreign nationals in our graduate programs in the United States, the ones they want to hire. So I, I look at our broken legal immigration system, and, and, and every day I realize why we have illegal immigration. We have illegal immigration because U.S. employers cannot hire 
the people they need to hire. And this is true also, David, for undocumented workers. I have clients call me all the time, hey, this guy works for me, I want to get him a green card. Sorry. But he's my best employee, he's been with me 15 years. I him. Sorry, he's undocumented, I can't do anything for him. So hopefully whoever's president coming in, whoever's in Congress, will fix this problem. Come back in a, in a minute or so, we'll be back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, del bufete de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, llámenos hoy. Conocemos la ley. Sabemos cómo ayudarle. Si hay algo que se puede hacer, nosotros lo podemos hacer. Llámenos a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos por el internet a la www.immigration.net. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national... Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. Dave was just telling me how much he loves Hillary Clinton and how much you can't wait till she's president of the United States. David, I, I think that's a wonderful thought. I think that's a wonderful thought. Uh, and uh, in, in, in other breaking news on immigration, David, um, we have uh, really interesting things going on in the EB-5 area. Uh, EB-5, as you and I have talked about before, is, the, is the, the green card that you can receive under a fifth preference, the least important preference of employment-based immigration, if you invest a million dollars in a new U.S. enterprise and create 10 jobs, or if you pool your money with other investors in a targeted investment area called a TIA for a half a million dollars, uh, and you create jobs, direct and indirect jobs there. We are now looking at <clears throat> possibly an 8 to 10 year backlog on those green cards for people from China. Now think about this, David. Why only China has a backlog? Now, as you know, we we give limited number of green cards per year in every category. So EB five gets ten thousand green cards a year, but that's ten thousand green cards per for people, not for investors. So it's not ten million. It's not ten thousand investors a year. It's ten thousand people, which is probably losing the immigration average of three, three people family. You're looking at at about three thousand. 334 green card investors a year. But no country can use more than 6.7% of that. So now you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of about <clears throat> no country is going to use more than 250 of those. And in the China backlog, there are 
thousands, literally thousands of Chinese nationals in the backlog. You might be looking at a 10-year, 15, 20-year wait. But, David, here's what's really stupid about this. The way that program works is you must show you have the money, and you must say, here's my plan to invest. Here's my plan to create jobs. But you don't actually, for the individual investor, you don't have to actually make the investment and start the bring price until you get your green card. So what you're saying for the individual investors, okay, show me your show me your money, okay, you made your money legally. Here's the business you're going to start. Here's where I'm going to have my business. Here's my business plan. Here's my lease. But you can't come in to do that business for 10 years. That's stupid, right? I mean, does it even make any sense at all? No. On the flip side, on the on what you call the regional center or TIA areas, those companies need your money now. They don't need your money. They need your money now. So you have to pay them up front that money. And they put it in escrow. And m- many of them say, we're not going to take your money out of escrow until you get your green card. But if you're not getting your green card for a decade, what is that investor supposed to do? What is that company supposed to do? So they might need your money to build a hotel. Well, it's not building a hotel in 10 years. It's building a hotel now. You see the dichotomy, the problem that's rising in the EB-5 area is you've got a lot of people that are going to get angry. And this just happened, David, in the last couple of years. Just bam, maybe the last year and change when these backlogs started cashing out. And the Chinese have been the biggest investors. They use about 80 to 85% of all these green cards. Why? A lot of money in China, a lot of concern in China. I need to get out of China now. I made my money. I need to get out of this country now. So you have a lot of money flowing out of China. Now, here's the funny part, David. How much money can you take out of China in any year as an individual? Only $50,000. So how do they get the rest of the money out? Oh, they give it to their cousin and their brother and their uncle and their aunt. and they, Pretty soon, everybody in China is exporting money out of the United States back into a bank account here in the United States. That doesn't violate U.S. law. It's legal as far as the U.S. is concerned. It violates, I'm sure, Chinese law. They don't really care. So you see this major problem of this EB-5 program. Who would have thought that we would have had greater demand for EB-5, 10,000 green cards a year? Now, Congress, one of the things Congress tried to do last year but couldn't get done in time was to increase the investment thresholds. Instead of 500, it had to be 800. Instead of a million, it had to be one point, I think 1.4 million, maybe 1.5 million. Um, and that would take a lot of people out of the market. You know, they have 500, but they don't have 800. So take a lot out of the market. And the concern was Congress is going to make that retroactive, which they ended up doing nothing and just continuing the program for another year. So we're looking here in September what's, what's going to happen. But you had this big crush people filing before the deadline, hoping they would beat that deadline. And now you've got this backlog, which, in fact, maybe, um, uh, uh, maybe this program designed in 1990 does not fit the needs of the 21st century. Because after all, what we're doing, David, is we're selling green cards, right? We're selling citizenship. That's what we're doing eventually. Isn't U.S. citizenship worth much more than $500,000? This is the argument on the side of, I mean, I think the program is good because we do have a, a non-immigrant investor visa, an E-2, but that's only available to countries we have a treaty with. And we only have treaties with like 90 countries or so. So many, like China, we don't have a treaty with China or India or many other big countries around the world that have lots of money. Saudi Arabia, we don't meet you with them. But maybe we want them to bring their money to the U.S. to create jobs. Yeah, we want to create jobs. I mean, this would be good to create jobs. And EB-5 programs have created hundreds of thousands of jobs over the last 26 years. They're, it's a good program. 
but perhaps the nature of the program has outlived its usefulness, and we need to figure out a better way to bring entrepreneurs to the United States. Because this idea, I think, for example, regional center, you can pool your money. Those people are not involved. They're not entrepreneurs. They're lenders. I don't think that is the basis of how EB-5 was created. Now, Congress has revived EB-5 over the years, and I'll get a lot of flack from my friends like me who do lots of EB-5s. But I think that the initial intent of the program was entrepreneurial in nature, and it's become what it is now is funding in nature. You become a funder of projects that are other people's ideas instead of bringing your idea and your own money to the table. And maybe we have to say going forward, well, you know, the EB-5 program is for people that are entrepreneurs that run the business and are not for basically lending money to other people. Now, when you lend money to other people, is that money guaranteed to come back? No, it's not guaranteed to come back. In fact, there have been several... Um, recent failures of some of these EB-5 regional center projects that have resulted in some in some interesting lawsuits over the last couple of years. Um, but at the same time, we've got to look at, again, the law. You look at the law. Is the law serving the purpose that it was designed to serve? And the answer is clearly no. It's not designed. It's not serving the purpose. So if it's not serving the purpose, why don't we change it? Um, we don't change it because... The people on the left won't fix an EB-5 program unless you have a legalization. And the people on the right won't legalize anybody unless you fix the legal immigration stuff. And yet, they all want to do a piecemeal, but nobody wants to go first because they don't think they're going to be last. They don't think the other side is going to live to their promise. So they want to do it all in one comprehensive bill. The nature of, That's why we need somebody, I think, like John Kasich, who can bring both sides together and say, look, we need to, of course we need to fix this. Of course we need better borders. Of course we need better security. Of course we need better homeland security investigations. At the same time, we need to solve a big problem that we all know exists, that it's easily fixable. Bring people out of the shadows. Make people not afraid. And improve our economy. David, I think there's... Um, I, I fear that John Kasich will not be the candidate. Um, uh, clearly, Cruz and Trump are both frightened of him. Um... Something will happen today with the with the Kansas pri- with the with the Wisconsin primary. We'll see what happens there. But I think um, I think what we're looking at here is uh, possibly eight more years of nothing on immigration. David, I'm not sure I could take eight more years of nothing on immigration. Uh, I can't imagine living my entire professional career without having fixed what is a massive problem. And I can't imagine having spent three decades doing immigration law that needed to be fixed two and a half decades ago. That, that, that to me is something that's, that's uber frustrating, ultimately frustrating, because we know how to fix it. We know what needs to be done. It's so simple. It's so easy. Uh, but the vitriol and the hatred from the anti-immigration white supremacist movement uh, and their control of certain legislature, legislators have literally stopped immigration reform in their tracks. And I think what we're going to have to do is uh, maybe wait until we can kick those guys out of office, if that's ever going to be possible. And, and you raise, I mean, I, I am, um, I, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. Uh, hopefully in November, I will not be disappointed. But right now, I'm, I'm eminently disappointed. Uh, in this process. And I think that uh, uh, overall, 
um, we, I think we as people who understand immigration from, from a policy perspective, from a passion perspective, need to become better versed in how to convince our legislators to move the ball forward. Now, David, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. this Thursday. I'm going to be meeting with your congressman on Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. Um, can I get your congressman to move the ball on this? Can I get any congressman? David shaking his head no. Can I get any congressman to move, their ball, to move the ball on this? You know, I can tell you right now, I mean, I'm going up because it's cherry blossom season. I want to see Washington, D.C. I love Washington, D.C. and cherry blossom season. Um, but I'm going up because I still want them to know that I'm watching, that I'm listening. And I enjoy walking the halls of Congress. But I'm going to be much more frustrated this time at them for their failure to act directly. I'm also meeting with both Isaacson's office and Purdue's office, and I will express my profound displeasure uh, at their, particularly at at Purdue's blacklisting of Dax Lopez. That was unjust, wrong, and simply not correct. Not correct. Uh, Dave, it's been a good week. Been a good week. I think we're going to have a rest of the good week. I'll think about you in Washington, D.C. I'll send my love. Maybe I'll tweet you something from there. Um, For all our listeners, thanks for listening today. There are other great shows on America's Web Radio. Uh, there's some crappy shows on America's Web Radio, too. No, there's not. I'm just kidding. There's some crazy butt stuff, though, you should listen to. Uh, no chicken show again, right? No chicken show. They do have a gardening show, though, right? When does the gardening show air? When do they, they air, David? We have one at uh, 10 and one at 11 on uh, Saturdays. Perfect day for a garden show. And, of course, they're podcasted as well, so you can download those from iTunes as well. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, until next week, have a great week. Enjoy yourselves. This is Chuck Cook on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.